Welcome to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is a community helping New Yorkers embody the love of Christ for the good of our neighbors. For more information, go to goodshepherdnewyork.com. May you be filled with curiosity, grace, and peace as we listen and learn together through this sacred text. And now a reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And now having heard our Gospel text, we take a moment of openness to pause and open ourselves to God and each other. Whether we bring lots of faith or lots of doubt, just bring your full authentic self to this moment. God of love, as we consider this story, shape us in the way of love, we pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us once again. I'd like to begin with a question. What do we do when we fall short of love? Love toward others or ourselves? And when others fall short of love toward us, how do we respond? What is our instinct when we are offended or when we're hurt? And if I could widen the focus, what are the collective mechanisms that humans have created over time to manage these offenses and these hurts? Our Christian faith tradition has taught us that Jesus came to save us from our sin. But how? You know, a key feature of how God saves us from ourselves is forgiveness. And Christians, in my experience, have been told many things about how God forgives us of our sins as individuals and also how we can receive that forgiveness in various ways. They're well-versed in that vertical dimension of spirituality, but there are clear problems in actual practice. Christians, in my experience, have been taught far less about how to manage sin and forgiveness in the most practical of all realms, the realm of relationships. Often, people cling to some vertical idea of forgiveness, but they can't seem to connect the dots to their real relationships in a way that produces rich and fulfilling and intimate relationships. Also, people sometimes have lofty ideas of how they should respond in conflict, but they dismiss it outright as impossible, as overly pious, as unrealistic, and perhaps as unreasonable. I was asked last week when it came to grievance, who was on my Mount Rushmore? And my top, you know, these are my top four sort of lifetime offenders. 
And I was surprised to experience how quickly names emerged. And that's because there's a very strong instinct, it seems, with human beings. When we are hurt, we want to defend, we want to blame, and we want to lash back in kind. In the words of artist Toby Nwigwe, try Jesus, don't try me, because I fight. Right? Try Jesus, not me, because I throw hands. I'm struck by the tension in this cultural moment between wanting justice, you know, wanting protection for the weak, wanting accountability for the powerful on the one hand, and then on the other hand, wanting redemption, wanting forgiveness or reconciliation or grace for another chance. It seems that the pendulum swings among groups and cultures between these two poles of emphasis. And what Jesus offers us here is a paradigm for dealing with offense and with grievance. But it may not be what you expect, especially on the surface reading, and especially if you've grown up in the church hearing this taught and practiced. Jesus begins with giving us a process for grieving, uh, or sorry, a process for grievance. And it begins with an uncomfortable conversation. Now here, I want to normalize a particular vibe. I was talking with Shauna Nequist about this dynamic, and she said, and I paraphrase here, we think when it comes to relationships that when there's conflict, it's the end. But the truth is that when there's conflict, it's not the end, it's just normal. You see, the whole process can be uncomfortable, but we just need to normalize it. Everyone that we love and get to know dearly will eventually hurt us and they will do or leave undone something. M. M. Scott Peck calls this cycles of community, and he normalizes the chaos that emerges when we start to get out of this pseudo-community mode. Most of us are addicted to pseudo-community, putting our best foot forward, and we leave a string of unresolved relationships behind us when things start to get difficult because we steamroll or we ghost. I've been teaching on this emphasis for years, and despite addressing this subject often, it still hasn't stuck very well in many interactions within my own experience as a pastor and being a part of a community. But Jesus here gives us a starting point. He says we should name the grievance. How many times have we been hurt and immediately we go to someone else, right? We cycle it through a few others and often actually never address our offender. We often have a bias toward HR culture and anonymous feedback loops that don't really require us to look our offender in the eye and name the offense. But Jesus is inviting the offended party to approach with honesty and with humility and to name their reality. This entire process doesn't begin with revenge or judgment or punishment. It's not coming with a, a sort of tick list of grievances and hoping to shame them and to pay them back. It begins with a vulnerable truth. And this is often extraordinarily disarming. You know, uh, there's a practice that my wife and I have defaulted to, and I share it with a lot of our married couples. When you blank, fill in the blank, I assume blank and it makes me feel blank, right? This is a healthy way to come with openness and humility, to name something, to be humble, to say, I'm assuming certain things in this, but also to be vulnerable and say, it makes me feel this way. Now, it's not a silver bullet. There are still those who will defend and attack and treat the pearl of your vulnerability like a pig, pig treats mud. 
But that simple, honest naming of what happened and how it impacted you is enough to win over your offender in most cases. Yet how often do we skip this step? How often do we widen the circle, right? To, and we do it prematurely. It turns into slander or gossip. It becomes a breeding ground for one-sided arguments to prevail. The human instinct to defend and to blame and to retaliate, that starts to sink in. And Jesus' teaching is the only way that reconciliation and grace can take root. Galatians 6 says that we should have a sense of mutual responsibility in our conflict. That whenever someone is caught in sin, we who are spiritual should restore someone in gentleness, looking to ourselves. Jesus constantly teaches us to look to ourselves in the midst of conflict and offense. The power of reflecting on the log in our own eye versus the speck in another person's eye. And we all know that to confront someone is often a sure way to learn about our own faults immediately. There are times now when the offender is dangerous, and that isn't what we're talking about here. There are times when our mental health is on the brink and reliving something that felt too traumatic feels like it may break us. The priority there is health, and wholeness before you engage. As Kate Gunger has said, if you can engage, you should engage, right? We all have different levels of resilience. Sure, some of us may use this sort of out in a cowardice way, but others really can't muster the courage sometimes to engage. And that's a difficult reality. It's a relative reality. Pain is relative, resilience is relative, and we each have to answer for what we can do. But I do think Jesus' wisdom is always nudging us toward engagement. Paul says, you who are spiritual, engage, right? Sometimes we need to let anger subside. We need to let bitterness fade. We need to let the intense pain heal a bit before we engage. The goal of the engage is engagement, though, whenever possible, because that's the heart of reconciliation. That's the heart of true peace. There are always things happening in people's stories that we have no idea about. And so it's important to sort of reserve judgment. Chadwick Boseman is a great example. Almost no one knew what he was battling with. And yet critiques were leveled at different points in his career about his energy levels or his physique. This is the wisdom of reserving judgments and limiting ourselves to our vulnerable truths. When you did this, I assumed this, and it made me feel this way. But isn't this an exclusionary text, I know some ask? I have horror stories about how this text has gone wrong. Uh, Reputations ruined. People treat it like this because they often take that human instinct to shame, to blame, to defend, to punish, and they conflate it with Jesus' teaching here. They effectively rip it out of the context of Jesus' life and emphasis. Jesus says, if they don't listen to you when you present your vulnerable truth, if they aren't receptive, if they remain closed, Treat them as tax collectors and Gentiles. Well, there you have it, right? Kick them out. That's that. But how did Jesus treat tax collectors and sinners? Right? Is this, in the gospel, they are the illustration that Jesus uses for teaching us how to love our enemies and pray for them. And this isn't just a condescending practice, like, oh, I'm just praying for them. No, this is a real expression of grief and hope. And only you know the difference in your own heart. Jesus invited sinners and tax collectors to his table and to his inner circle. Some took him up on it, others didn't. Right? The issue, though, here is the power of choice. Like, we can't force things on people. That's not love. 
Sometimes we have to patiently and openly wait. That's the Jesus way. Now, finally, we get to these comments about binding and loosing. Jesus says, what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And further, he says, if two agree about anything and ask, it will be done by God. Now, this is where David McCracken shines light on this text, I think, calling it a moment of sublime, of the sublime. It's a moment when Jesus unites the realm of God's activity and ours, a distinction that many of us are addicted to, and it causes a perennial confusion because we are. Human agreement is sort of widened to the circle of two or three in a larger assembly where there's asking and there's agreement and there's this intimacy that's experienced between God's activity and ours. That division between heaven and earth is demolished. And where two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus says, I'm there. It's a statement that jolts us out of any ordinary sense of location. When we practice this process, we're engaged in divine activity. The keys to bind and loose are in our hands. And if we try to follow Jesus, we will always be looking for ways to loose, to set free, to forgive. May God give us courage to normalize conflict in our lives, the courage to speak our vulnerable truths to our offenders, and the rich experience of knowing God's presence and enacting God's will as we forgive and as we reconcile. My prayer is that these will not just be words, but that you'll do something with it this week, that you'll begin or enter into this process, or you'll begin meditating how you could enter into this divine process where you have the keys to the kingdom of God. Where can you be strong and courageous and vulnerable? Where, where can you be strong and courageous to hear critique, hear hard truths? Openness and receptivity is what we're aiming for. May God's spirit help us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene creeds, but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text Good Shepherd NY, all lowercase with no spaces, to 77977. That's Good Shepherd NY to 77977. Or visit our website, goodshepherdnewyork.com. Thank you for listening.